everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Unleashed. One of my favorite stops on the campaign trail, and a place I spent many a summer weekend as a kid fishing with my dad, is a Colorado city in distress. Just a couple hours south of the big city of Denver, Pueblo stands as a testament to resilience, cultural diversity, and a rich industrial history. Best known as the home of heroes due to its remarkable number of Medal of Honor recipients, Pueblo has faced its fair share of challenges over the years. From the decline of its steel industry to the desperate need for economic revitalization, the city continues to redefine itself and embrace new opportunities. Pueblo enjoys a mild climate and boasts over 300 sunny days per year, surpassing even popular sunny destinations like San Diego and Honolulu. Pueblo's rich artistic heritage and cultural diversity provide residents with a plethora of opportunities to engage in various artistic and cultural activities. Compared to other major cities in Colorado, Pueblo offers a significantly lower cost of living. Pueblo is approximately 14% lower than the national average. That's a lot. Pueblo's economy has undergone significant transformations in recent decades, particularly with the decline of its once thriving steel industry. The city has faced challenges in creating new job opportunities, resulting in a higher-than-average unemployment rate and the need for continued efforts to revitalize its job market and provide better prospects for its working-class residents. The local poverty rate of 18% is considerably higher than the comparable 12% national rate. Pueblo's residents are suffering. Pueblo's public school system is not good also compared to other cities in Colorado, but school choice is starting to take hold. Thank goodness. The city infrastructure desperately needs upgrading. A high poverty rate with one in four residents living below the poverty line puts a filter on this beautiful town in lots of ways. Rising crime rates, substance abuse issues, homelessness, human trafficking, and drug smuggling challenge the good people of Pueblo constantly. I had many conversations about these various issues on the campaign trail. So the question is, Why is this beautiful historic town not experiencing the same advantages of its big sister cities up the road? Colorado Springs, Denver, Fort Collins. On the campaign trail, I heard firsthand about corruption, backdoor dealings, old school politicians and union leaders that run everything into the ground. A lot of this, I think, is the responsibility or why Pueblo is being held back. An example of this was laid out in last year's elections. The Democratic clerk of Pueblo, Bo Ortiz, made several mistakes or perhaps intentional moves that led to voter confusion. It included sending incorrect ballots to voters during the state's primary election, failing to include certain races on primary ballots, and a misprint on the general election ballot. Colorado's Democratic Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, who brags about our gold standard elections, had to appoint a supervisor to oversee the Pueblo County election because of all of this. The clerk ended up being ousted in the election himself. It was bad. Another example is the deep state ties Jared Polis and Democrat politicians in Pueblo have cultivated with the pot industry and the beautiful city of Pueblo. Emily Price, a Pueblo board member for the Metro District, spoke up at the Pueblo County Commissioner meeting in October of 2019 about former Commissioner Sal Pace and his corrupt ties with the marijuana industry. You've got to check out the clip. I wanted to uh, comment briefly on the uh, coalition that has been formed to fight against our jail 
uh, ballot issues. Uh, I have some friends who fell for that. Uh, I'm very surprised at educated people. Um, and I know you know a lot about the person who formed the coalition, but I might know things that you don't know. Um, first of all, uh, when the marijuana growers first started, I did marketing for them uh, because I don't see any harm in marijuana. I was uh, present for a meeting when the chief growers brought literal sacks of cash to the commissioner that sat in that office, brought them directly to his office. They separated them in thousands of dollars into little white envelopes. And Rich Quessel was sent to the legislature the next day to distribute those little white envelopes bulging with money to legislators to get legislation passed that was favorable to marijuana. I sat on a panel for the League of Women Voters uh, shortly thereafter. They wanted uh, an informational panel about marijuana. They had a police officer to do the negative side. They had a grower to do the positive side. And they told me, they asked me to come and give my views because they knew I would tell the truth. And after the panel, out in the parking lot, that commissioner scolded me for the way I answered their questions. And I said, they asked me questions. I told them the truth. He said, you tell the truth too goddamn much. When the baseball stadium thing was going, the person that he was involved with is known to be a kingpin in the marijuana trade in California. When a director in this county was under investigation, he sent me a text and said that you were only investigating him to get even with that former commissioner because he was a close friend of his. As it turns out, we all know from the audit report that we were investigating him because he was a thief. He was found to have written numerous checks to family members to in payment for contracts that never existed. So it had nothing to do with friendship with that commissioner. He knows that I am very pro-jail. And he sent me a text on August the 23rd. And after I got through all the profanity and vulgarity about what ables the three of you are, here was his message. Don't use marijuana funds and I won't kill your ballot questions. Um, 
Emily talked about cash bribes, threats, and theft from out-of-state marijuana investors. In her words, the chief growers brought literal sacks of cash to the commissioner. They separated thousands of dollars into little white envelopes, and Rich Cresol was sent to the legislature the next day to distribute those little white envelopes bulging with money to the folks at the Capitol to get legislation passed that was favorable to marijuana. This started in Pueblo. Weird coincidence, after the 2018 Colorado gubernatorial election, Pace was selected to serve as co-chair on Governor-elect Jared Polis' transition team. You can't make this stuff up, my friends. Just a couple examples of many that I heard. Let's move on from corruption to other types of crime in Pueblo. Crime rates in Colorado, including in the city of Pueblo, have continued to surge. They're surpassing pre-pandemic levels still. With a concerning increase in property crimes, drug trafficking, and the prevalence of illicit fentanyl, Pueblo finds itself grappling with public safety concerns. Among 167 American cities surveyed, Pueblo has ranked among the top 10 in each of the 10 crime categories measured. These include aggravated assault, violent crime, murder, rape, robbery, property crime, burglary, larceny, theft, motor vehicle theft, and arson. Violent crimes such as manslaughter, rape, armed robbery, and and aggravated assault are alarmingly high, more than twice the national median and significantly higher than the state average. Property crime rates in Pueblo are nearly three times the national median. Pueblo has also been plagued by an alarming surge in drug trafficking, particularly involving fentanyl. The Colorado State Patrol recently reported a 10-year drug trafficking record, with fentanyl seizures on track to reach 300% higher than the previous year. The total number of overdose deaths has been steadily climbing over the past three years, with opioids, fentanyl, claiming the most lives. Despite the surge in crime rates, Pueblo and Colorado have seen decline in the number of offenders in state correctional facilities, on parole, and on probation since the start of the pandemic. That's weird. More crime. Should be more of these. This discrepancy raises concerns about the need for increased arrests, convictions, and incarceration to just make sure public safety is priority one and get justice for the victims. Pueblo finds itself facing significant challenges stemming from rising crime rates and drug trafficking. It's crucial for law enforcement agencies, community organizations, and policymakers to work together to combat these issues effectively. You hear me, Jared Polis? You hear me, Pueblo lawmakers? By implementing comprehensive strategies that prioritize public safety, targeted law enforcement efforts, and access to addiction treatment and mental health services, Pueblo can move towards a safer and more secure future and have the bright, bright future it deserves. Pueblo faces significant challenges, but I will always have a special place in my heart for the city of hometown heroes, a city that deserves leadership that sees its potential, not just a pocket of potential money for bad actors. So next up, I'm going to interview two people determined to get Pueblo back on track, my friends Randy Thurston and Nathan Baxter. 
I think it's important that we continue to highlight the amazing towns in Colorado that have built our great state over the years. Pueblo, you have my heart. I'm here to help bring back the prosperity you were built for. Randy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. I am so proud to introduce you to our community. Randy Thurston, you're running for mayor of Pueblo. You are Mr. Pueblo, as we like to say, and you were just an instrumental person in helping me connect with the people of that beautiful city. And I want to hear a little bit about your background and have people get to know you a bit. But I know you as a friend, as a fellow warrior, as someone who absolutely believes and is committed to the truth and telling the people the truth about what's happening in politics. And that's what our show is about. It's about truth, lies, and politics. So we're going to talk about that today. But Randy, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, first, Heidi, I want to thank you for being you. You know, uh, one of the things about the truth is I, I love supporting real people that are leaders, not politicians with hidden agendas. And when I first met you, I didn't know much about you at all, if anything. And after our meeting, it was like, oh, amazing. Who are you? Where'd you come from? <laughs> I, a, a true leader, somebody that really cares from the heart. And, and that's what I get excited about. And you've inspired me in so many ways of that we do have a chance when you have leaders with real feelings for real people and will fight to the death to make sure that the people's voice is always heard. So again, Heidi, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, Randy, I am just heartbroken about what's happened in Pueblo. I grew to love that city on the campaign trail. I, I grew up in Monument, Colorado, and we would spend weekends in the summers down at uh, what was called Pueblo Reservoir back then, now Lake Pueblo. And I've seen it transition and not in a good way. So let's start there. Tell us about what's happened as you've seen or from your eyes uh, to the beautiful town of Pueblo. You know, Pueblo, obviously I was born and raised there. Mm -hmm. uh, went to South High School. Uh, my family's down there. Most of my family. I have a son in New York, but everybody else, my daughter and my other son live in Pueblo. I have four granddaughters that live there. And I believe it or not, Heidi, I have a great grandson. That was born six No, you're ago. too young for that. Well, I, that's what I keep saying, but it doesn't change the fact I am a great-grandpa. So. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a community that is so unique. It's something that only when you come to Pueblo and experience it that you see what it really is, not the perception, because we've always been bashed by Denver and Springs and saying how bad it was, and, and that's not the reflection of what it really is. Unfortunately, now it has changed that way. But before it was a community of, of, of people with heart. You know, we were truly the melting pot of all these different entities coming in from around the world to help create at the beginning of uh, the turn of the century with the railroads, uh, with the steel industry, and just hardworking people with heart that raised their families and it was strong principles. Um, the fact that we have 300 days of sunshine. The fact that we have Lake Pueblo, we have, uh, the, which is the second largest reservoir in Colorado. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have I-25 and Highway 50. I mean, we've, we've got so many gems, it's incredible. And the best, one of the best gems we have, and this is a, a very, uh, a secret very few people know, we have enough water for a population of 400,000 people. Oh my goodness, currently I did own. not know that. And our population right now is about 112,000. If you look at our growth over the, the, the time, say 50 years, we've grown less than probably 5 or 6%. And it's not because of Pueblo. It's because there's certain people that have wanted to keep Pueblo small. They've wanted to be big fish in small ponds. They've wanted to 
not have outside influences coming in and different things like that. So as a result, uh, when people come here, they love it. But you also have the fact that we haven't grown is a very unique dynamic. Cost of government's gone up. Cost of everything has gone up. Cost of, of infrastructure, um, construction. Mm -hmm. But yet, for the taxpayers, there's still the same amount of people paying for it. Mm -hmm. So it has really been a disservice to where we haven't grown to a level of we should be at a, a 180 to 220,000. That's a problem you don't hear much about, that a, a town in Colorado is not growing. Um, I think Pueblo has the potential to be one of the most amazing cities in Colorado. I mean, I love the people there. Um, but what I've seen happen is bad leadership is leading Pueblo down the wrong path. You've got one of the highest crime rates in the country, auto theft, a drug problem. What the heck happened? What, what made it turn? Well, I think what made it turn was... Uh starting off with Colorado becoming a sanctuary state. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been against the sanctuary state because, in my opinion, is it's real simple, is you invite and encourage irresponsible and illegal people from outside to come into your community, and then you reward them for their bad behavior. Mm -hmm. No regards to what it does to the citizens of this community. No regards to the, the fact that we used to enjoy going to the parks. We used to enjoy going shopping. We used to enjoy being out and doing all this. And now it's, it's, it, you have to be looking over your back or packing a gun when you go out now. I mean, it has gotten that bad. I mean, it changed in the last five years like I've never seen anything change. The reality is we can turn it around. The reality is the heart of the people is still there. We just need to have what I call zero tolerance for crime and zero tolerance for, for, for illegal drugs. Mm -hmm. With zero tolerance, there is no compromise. You can't compromise crime. Right. You can't compromise illegal drug use. It's either a crime or illegal, uh, and you have to have consequences. And now they're just, uh, there's, there's no consequences to the things that there should be, and it's encouraging more people to come in and do more crime. Right, and, and I think um, that changes the dynamic of the city, like a thriving river walk, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful part of town. Um, people are hesitant to go down and hang out and go to dinner and walk around late at night. Um, it changes the dynamic of the community. Um, you've been very, very involved in the community for a long time. What do you hear on the ground as you're running for mayor? What are people talking to you about? What are the things they care about? Well, I think what they care about is just getting back to the... the the simple of just being safe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have no problem with that. I mean, being safe, I think, is a fundamental right that we should have. And we have government and we have law enforcement to provide us that, that protection. Mm -hmm. But we have to have strong leadership. And there was a shift in leadership uh, four and a half years ago. And that really supported the sanctuary state, including a kind of an unofficial making us a sanctuary city. Mm -hmm. And the amount of, of drugs coming in, the amount of people coming in. Now, I'm, Heidi, I'm going to make a, a strong statement. Homelessness is not a crime. But crime is a crime. Mm -hmm. And there are homeless people that do crimes. And there's homeless people that do drugs. And you have to have a level of accountability and not give people free passes. And right now, there's free pass after free pass after free pass. If I were to do any of the things that are happening there... I would, I would be fined and in jail. Mm -hmm. But yet, because of our leadership, they really don't want to uh, 
um, discourage that element from coming to the to the community. So so we we it's the leadership and it's the mindset, it's the vision. Uh, I recently had a a, a meeting where uh, Nick Radizar, our, our existing mayor, and the police chief, and our district attorney, was sharing about. Uh, Pueblo and, and the issues that are, we're dealing with. I asked a question of our mayor, which was a very simple question. What is your level of priority for the safety and the protection of the citizens of Pueblo? I mean, I, I always try to do very simple. Simple is the, the best way of communicating a point. And instead of answering the question, he, he said, uh, 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 Everybody there, this is Randy Thurston. He's running for mayor. He's coming in to take my job, and he's here to use my organization of what we're doing for his own platform. And I just said, Nick, it's a simple question. I'm sorry it made you feel uncomfortable, but just answer the question. Right. You have to have him held accountable, but he has a way of always deflecting it and making it about him being the victim and or whatever as this community is, is deteriorating. Okay, so let's... Fast forward, you've been elected mayor. What do you do to fix things, to turn things around, Randy? Well, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting uh, because it's, it takes a, a real solution, and real solutions are baby steps. You know, if you have somebody tell you exactly how they're going to turn it around, it's a campaign promise. Mm-hmm. And so the real solution starts with a strong principle, and which is zero tolerance for crime and zero tolerance for illegal drugs. I want it to where it's not feasible for drug dealers to come to Pueblo. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we could do, and, I've, and I've, I talked to Phil Weiser when we were at an Action 22 meeting. He's situation. the attorney general right He's now. He's the attorney general. And all I hear is the same dance, and nothing ever changes. I said, if you're serious about the kids that are on drugs, make across the board a consequence that any drug dealer that gives or sells drugs to anybody 18 years or younger go away for a long time, no problem. Right, absolutely. It's done. It's finished. All, all you get is excuses. You can't do this. You can't do that. Well, of course you can't do it if you don't want to. Right. If you have strong leadership, you can do a lot of these things. Speaking of, tell us a little bit about the structure in Pueblo because it's different than some other towns. Well, Pueblo is... Uh, has been a city manager form of government uh, since 1957. And the thing with the city manager, uh, it's you have seven city council people, and the majority of those hire and fire the city manager. The city manager is never held responsible to the voters. I do support a strong mayor, and a strong mayor is somebody that is accountable to everybody that... that that is a citizen and a constituent that you won't ever have with a city manager. The other thing is when you have a city manager, it's very political because every two years there's a shift of people coming into city council and going out, and all you need is four people to, to want to get rid of the city manager for no reason, a, a vote of no confidence, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. So city managers are always worrying about keeping city council happy and they have no connection with the growth and the vision, the leadership that would take Pueblo to where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. The strong mayor is the best form of government, but unfortunately we have the wrong mayor. Uh, he's not a strong mayor, he's a passive mayor. Mm-hmm. He's a mayor that has his own agenda. In fact, I think I'm going to start uh, calling it, uh, instead of Pueblo, Nickville. 
And Nickville, when you see what Nickville has created, there is no connection with the feelings, the heart, the, the consensus of the citizens of what they want for our community. What they have is what Nick wants. Uh, he has a lot of communications with the governor and a lot of the, the drug programs, the decriminalization of a lot of these things is something that the two of them work together on in conversations. And not one time since Nick has been mayor has he gone up to fight legislation, to strengthen the legislations against crime and illegal drugs. If that gives you any direction of what his heart and soul is all about. Right. Um, Randy, what are some of your favorite stories from the campaign trail? Can you talk about a couple people you've met that their stories have kind of uh, impacted how you view policy or how you view um, the crime issue, the homelessness issue, the schools, whatever it is? Well, I, I, I'm going to do with crime and I'm going to do with the schools because there's so many people that have a story. And just recently there was one about a, a, a man who was out with his two kids and some people came up uh, and pistol whipped him and stuck a pistol in his mouth and hit him over the head in front of his, his kids. Oh, my goodness. And the conversation that they shared in this safety meeting was uh, they reached out to the mayor, never got a phone call back. Wow. Uh, they, they're traumatized. Again, it's just something that reflects all of this is happening and nobody's doing anything. When you look at our, our schools, our schools are, I mean, we should have the highest priority for our future and our future generations in what we do in our schools. Mm -hmm. We should have had a zero bully um, uh, policy years ago. It started years ago with kids getting bullied. Now they have outside influences coming in, convincing them or, or trying to have a conversation about something that is none of their business. A kid should be a kid until they're 18 years old, and then they can make whatever decision they want to. But unfortunately, um, this is being allowed in the schools and this is being allowed in the streets with both the crime and what's happening with people uh, trying to influence the mind of our kids. Is there um, someone you've met on the campaign trail, like a student or a parent, that have impacted you? Well, I, I'm pretty much impacted by everybody I listen to. <laughs> yeah. And I, I say that because one of the things that a good leader does is they listen. And I... I try to take away from absolutely everyone I talk to uh, from their perspective. And there's so many names that would be associated, but I am going to say the common denominator is they don't feel that their voice matters. Mm -hmm. Nobody's listening. Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah, if I get attacked and I can't get a call back from the mayor's office. Right. You know, the shootings. Uh, uh, there's probably five or six shootings every night in Pueblo. Wow. And with the police chief, and, and I, I like our police chief, but he works for the mayor. He follows the mayor's direction. And, you know, his conversation is, well, you know, I have a budget for a three-star hotel and everybody wants a five-star hotel. Well, if zero tolerance for crime is a five-star hotel, we need to make sure the funding is there for the five-star hotel. No kidding, no kidding. But we also need a district attorney that isn't releasing people that are being released. We also need state legislators that have a mayor that goes up there and spends half their time in City Hall and half the time outside of City Hall. Right now, the legislators need a strong voice that says, in Pueblo, Colorado, we have zero tolerance. We want legislation that's going to make a crime 
a consequence that they won't want to continue the crime. And we don't have that. It's gone just the opposite. Randy, you were a member of the city council for a long time. Tell us about your experience there. Well, uh, I, I never had aspirations of being in politics. In fact, I, this is going to sound crazy, Heidi, but I don't like politicians. And I've told that to people. And they said, well, for eight years you were a politician because I had two terms. I said, no, I was an elected official. I, I understand, I truly understand who my boss is, and it's the people. But with, when you look at um, uh, not wanting to be in politics, there's also an influence that you can do in changing the direction of a community. So I was asked to, to run for a seat by the person that was held that seat. He decided not to run. And he was very frustrated with the, the, the power players and the politics and everything. And I thought, well, what an opportunity to share uh, somebody who loves Pueblo, and that's why I do this, because I love Pueblo, to, to really make a difference. And I um, ended up getting great support. Had uh, Nobody ran against me. Had both uh, parties supporting me, even though I didn't uh, made it clear that there is no favors going to be done. This is all about the citizens. And at the end of the day, um, got elected. And then I realized why politics is... is, is I don't like it. It's, it's, I want to listen to the, vo the voice of the people. So one of the questions that I first had to ask myself is, why do we have the agenda that we vote on every Monday? Where does the agenda come from? They didn't ask me what, what the citizens of Pueblo right. want for the agenda. They didn't ask anybody else on city council. Well, the agenda is set by the bureaucrats, which at that point was the city manager and the city attorney. And then we're given the mandate to vote chocolate or vanilla, vote yes or no. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you recuse a vote, you will be immediately removed from city council. Really? That's it. So you, there is no, I, I'm not going to vote on this because I'm not sure. It's either yes or no. And as this was laying out, I kept asking myself, something's not right here. The, the, the chocolate and vanilla has no bearing on what the citizens want. So I, on my own, came up with this crazy thing that I didn't know if it was possible because not knowing politics, and I created strawberry. <laughs> so I changed whatever was out there on the, some of the big issues because we had the smoking issue, making Pueblo non-smoking. We had the IGA with the water situation. We had all these big, huge issues, and the citizens weren't represented in those. So uh, I would amend uh, the motion and create strawberry. And uh, it worked beautiful. Now, the bureaucrats hated me. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember um, the year I was president in 2004, uh, the city attorney, who I have a great deal of respect, a very intelligent guy, but he liked Pueblo being a smaller community. He wasn't so interested in about us growing. And what was interesting is he tabbed my uh, presidency as the Thurston Express because we were just popping things out. We were getting things done. Because I, in business, if we ran a business like they run the government, nobody would be successful in That's business. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yet we elect people that really prolong that. We elect people that um, uh, believe and take as much time as you want, and it, the cost doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There was one issue that came up uh, that had to do with bathrooms at a park, and it absolutely floored me. The cost of a bathroom or a park was $750,000. What? And it was, 
obviously not approved, but it was like, do you know what kind of house you can build for $750,000? With how many bathrooms? A lot. With a lot, yeah. yeah. And all the bathrooms bigger than the one bathroom that they're building for the whole park. But it just shows you how government plays by a different set of rules, and you have to have somebody in there that will fight for the citizens. You need to have somebody in there that will take the responsibility as if that was their money. How many of these guys, any of them, would spend 750000 on a bathroom? None. None. But since it was taxpayer dollars and it was something that was presented to them by bureaucrats that, that aren't connected to the, to the citizens, it becomes this revolving door of insanity with these decisions. And it has gotten far worse in the last five years than I've ever seen with the expenditures, the different things that are being done, the different decisions. But it still comes that, that if, you're the, if you care about the, the community, you love the community, you care about um, being f- fiscally responsible, mm-hmm. you care about a dollar is a dollar, even if it's somebody else's tax dollar, it's just as important as if it was your own, mm-hmm. and then have common sense in, in what the solution is to get the best result for the citizens, that's on the, the right track of really getting a community like Pueblo to where it could be the shining star of the state. Yeah, which I, I, like I said, I love the community. The people are amazing. There's so many wonderful things to do in Pueblo, which you exposed me to a lot of those. I think my favorite was uh, throwing axes at the chili festival. Right, yeah. <laughs> And the smell of the chilies roasting, it was amazing. Um what are you up against down in Pueblo for running for mayor? Like, it, it's a machine, right? Everywhere across the state. What's the machine look like in Pueblo? Well, you know, again, until I got into office, now I'm going to kind of digress just a little bit to kind of give you my summary of an understanding. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, uh, after my eight years on city council, I was asked by uh, KCSJ Radio, uh, which is the radio station now that has the Glenn Beck show down there. It covers a huge part of southern Colorado, they asked me to do their talk show uh, five days a week live on the radio, and I saw that as an opportunity, even though I had never done radio before. I saw it as an opportunity to get the truth out to people, kind of like what you're doing here. Yeah. It's so amazing when people can hear the truth and have these aha moments. And one of the truths was is what I see with, with, with uh, people that get into office. I said 95%, in my opinion, of the people really want to make a difference they really want to to have their fingerprints on making a greater community a safer community a community with opportunities and reaching potential but then they get a phone call after they get elected and they're given an address where to go so they go to this address they open the door and there's a a blue light flashing and a red light flashing and there's a big button there in the center so they step up to it and they push the button. It opens up and they get sucked through and they pop out a politician. <laughs> now, I'm being facetious, but I'm not. No, you're not. You're not. And, and that's what I'm, I'm saying as far as um, uh, having people that, that won't become a politician, having people that will stay human, that, that, that will take the hits, because if you're going to stand for the people against the power players and the political parties, and the one thing we were talking about was the Democratic power machine. I didn't know about the Democratic power machine until I got elected. Now, uh, again, they had asked and requests of what they wanted. 
And my response to everybody that asked is I'm here for the greater good of Pueblo. And if it serves the greater good, I will look into it. If it doesn't and it's, and it's a special interest, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So as I became very stubborn against the democratic power machine, uh, they, they get very, very um, aggressive in getting their way. And so when I look now with the democratic power machine, their agenda has nothing to do with the citizens of Pueblo. It's kind of like certain labor unions. People that are, are in unions are great people. People that are Democrats are great people. People that are independents are great people. But it's the power behind it that is where the problem is. Mm -hmm. So when you start realizing that uh, some of the the union agendas, like the Democratic power machine agenda, isn't about the the people that they're representing at all. Zero. If people start questioning that and realize that the power that they're using is really... um, for their own agendas. It's only for their own good. It's for extending their own power. They want people to fear them that if they don't support them, that there's going to be a consequence. And that should never exist when you're representing citizens of a community. So, so that was the biggie, is this democratic power machine uh, that has really uh, spread its l- wings and its legs, and it's passing things that are, are just incredibly insane. Uh, one of them is the, the needle exchange. Yeah, and that goes back to how much permissiveness do we allow? Like, where do we draw the line? If it's zero tolerance, it means, you know, accepting that people have an illness or a problem, but letting them do drugs in an open-air situation on our streets, um, I haven't seen where that's been successful in solving the problem. Well, f- five years ago, uh, it was brought to Pueblo as a choice. And I came out totally against it. And I said that I was told by a very wise person, which I I was, that if you open up uh, free needles, you will have everybody that wants to stay on drugs come to your community. Mm -hmm. And the reputation will be such that if you come to Pueblo, you're protected and taken care of. So it wasn't about needle exchange because they don't exchange needles. They just give needles. Now you have all these other people that are coming in doing drugs. We have more needles around this community than you can imagine. Oh. So it didn't solve any of the problems. But guess what we, you have? You, have, you give free needles. Well, what goes in those needles is drugs. Right. So, so now you have high crime in car theft, in shoplifting, in, in overall theft, people being robbed. There was a restaurant recently robbed in Pueblo, as in three weeks ago, they went in, and besides robbing the restaurant, they robbed every every a, a person there having dinner. Wow. And they and trust me, it wasn't for their college education for their kids. It was for their drug habits. Right. And that's why you have to be so strong on this. There is no compromise to these activities that are damaging to the community and to the safety of the citizens. That's right. Randy, let's wrap up by having you tell voters why you are a better option to be mayor of this beautiful city, Pueblo. Well, Heidi, what's, what's interesting, and, you know, my kids wasn't for it um, because it takes a toll. Yeah. You know, when I first got on city council, uh, city council paid $700 a month. It pays $700 a month now for, as far as city council. I committed eight years of my life where I put my real estate license on ice 
and I didn't do any investments in any real estate because I that's what I did. I owned a lot of real estate in that eight years because I despised people when they got an office and they used that office for their own self-dealing. So I made that commitment, and it was very costly to me. It pretty well eight years of seven hundred bucks a month uh, can wipe out a lot of savings and a lot of future for my kids and grandkids' futures. But it was something that I did because I love Pueblo. What I do now, and I'm doing this for the mayor's race, is not because I want to, it's because I have to. I love Pueblo. I love the people of Pueblo. I see their hearts and their souls just being ripped apart because we're deteriorating so fast. So the commitment and the love is, is part of it. But then the other part has to do with being seasoned. Trust me, in eight years being on city council, uh, I know how, how the sausage is made. <laughs> and there's some great people running for office. And they have to ask themselves, if they were elected, day number one, how long is it going to take for them to know how to make the sausage? To really, the, who the power players are, what the hidden agendas are, uh, uh, what's, uh, what's good for Pueblo, what's not good for Pueblo, what makes sense financially and what doesn't. I mean, if you're brand new and they talk about funding for a bathroom uh, of an extraordinary amount, uh, you don't know what's reasonable or not. Having been in real estate for 45 years, having not, um, I've negotiated a lot of companies coming to Pueblo. For the growth of Pueblo, I've been involved in, as a contractor. There's a lot of things that I have some skill sets that are beyond the normal person. But again, it still comes to, do you have the strength to stand up? And if you're going to make the change that has to happen in Pueblo, the change has to come from strength. Because trust me, the, the people in power now do not want to lose power. They would love to keep our community the same or worse because obviously the agenda that has created where we're at now, that 80% of the people in Pueblo are not happy. And obviously, it hasn't made any difference to them now. If they get reelected, all of a sudden, now you've got a lame duck uh, with the same thoughts that is going to be even far worse. For me, day one, there's massive change. Uh, the people that support the vision of a Pueblo, of a safe and, and healthy community, uh, people that want responsible growth, people that want best results. And then the biggest is the people that get brought in as the, uh, the, the department heads or, or, or employees of the city, that every one of them will have intrinsic value or qualities that will help for the best direction for the community. There will be zero political appointments. I despise political appointments when somebody gets uh, in office and then they owe all these favors and everybody has a relative that wants a job. And before you know it, you're being run by bureaucrats that have no connection with any ability to get best results for the community. So, so kind of in a quick summary, that's where I'm at with that, Heidi, is it's not that I want to, but I have to. And in four years, I can make a massive change and get Pueblo back on the right track to where it's the shining star of the state and the citizens will be able to go to the parks, they'll be able to go shopping, they'll be able to enjoy life and have their future, future generations in a much better place than the, the direction we're going now. Randy, our show is about truth and lies. Give us one truth and one lie that you want people to know about Pueblo or Pueblo politics. Um, well, the truth is the politics are broken. I had a very 
wise person who owns a lot of properties around the country, uh, owns a lot of properties in Denver, a lot of properties in, in Cairo Springs, is probably one of the wealthiest men in the country. And in my conversation, we were talking about Pueblo, and he said he would not invest in Pueblo because the politics are broken. Got it. What's a lie that people... Well, I'll, I'll tell you what the lie used to be. The lie used to be that Pueblo uh, has um, a lot of outside issues that aren't good. Back then, uh, that wasn't true. Now it is true. So the lie that I think exists is that this is, it is what it is. There's no choice. When you talk to Nick right now about the, the state of, of Pueblo, uh, he'll tell you that we've lost a war on drugs. No, we haven't lost a war on drugs. Uh, no, we don't have to accept, because he says every other community has the same problems. We don't have to buy that. We can sit there and say, no, we're our own unique community, our own unique people, and if you get the right leadership that stands up to it, you'll see the, the potential of what this community really is. Well, thank you, Randy. I do believe you are the potential for Pueblo um, to be safe and whole again, and um, boy, do I wish you luck. I, I know you're going to do very well in this, in this mayor's race, and uh, I'm excited for people to get to know you and get to know your heart and to get to hear the truth from you. Thank you for coming today. Heidi, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And again, I can't wait four years for where uh, hopefully you'll be our next governor. <laughs> I got it, a little bit of work because, to do. Because then we can change the state like we can change Pueblo. Thanks, Randy. Heidi, thank you. Hello, everyone. It's Heidi here yep. with a good friend of mine, Nate Baxter, down in Pueblo. And um, Nate and I got to know each other on the campaign trail. And just such a strong leader, Nate. You're so uh, well-versed in everything about Pueblo and the challenges it's facing. Um, tell me a little bit about your history there and why you love the city so much. Well, I, I came to Pueblo almost on accident. I came down here as an operations manager for another program and uh, was tasked with ramping up a program, uh, employing some people, getting some things turned around and, and basically making some things happen. It was supposed to be a temporary assignment. I was going to be here for six months to a year. Um, and then, of course, while I was here, I wound up meeting a girl. Now, 10 years later, I'm still here, married the girl and have two babies. Oh, I know so, you uh, You had one recently, didn't you? You're not getting much sleep. I'm not I'm not getting much sleep. Uh, Theo, my oldest, just turned 12 months and my youngest just turned six weeks. Yeah, for, for, for an old guy, that's a workout. Hey, I'm an old mom too. And uh, I tell you what, I wish I could say it gets, uh, you get more sleep later on. My twins are 11 and Holly's 14, Tori's 27. Nope. You just have sleepless nights for different reasons. So <laughs> that's, that's not what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> so tell me, Nate, why you love Pueblo so much and why you're so passionate about turning it around, why you ran for office. Well, so a couple of reasons, as, as you know, Heidi, once you have kids, a lot of your reasoning changes. Uh, you know, your perspectives change, your your concentration on education issues, on on, uh, on school boards, on crime rates, on things like that. Uh, all those things take a much more important role. Um, I fell in love with Pueblo when I came here because there's so many good people. There are some genuinely nice, caring, good people here that would give you the show off their back. There's, there's a real lack of pretension. Uh, it's a good down-to-earth city. Those are the positive aspects of it. You know, I, I met some people and just became good friends, and they took me right into their homes and and uh, made me feel like part of the family. In fact, I liked it so much that I brought my mother down here. We just moved her down here 
uh, about six months ago. So that's great, right? She lives out in Pueblo West now, so just outside of Pueblo. Um, and, and, you know, and, and like I said, you, know, you marry a girl, you start having kids, I'm blessed with the world's best in-laws, you know. So I've got, I've got a lot of reasons to, to love Pueblo. Um, there are some areas of opportunity, though, and so that's what attracts me to, to form such as this. You know, we, we've got to be able to identify our, our areas of opportunity. As you know, you spent years as a business owner and, uh, and, and an entrepreneur, so you know very well that if you can't identify an area of opportunity, you certainly can't address it. Uh, and we definitely have some things that need to be addressed. So as I'm digging in and learning more and more about Pueblo, I loved going to Pueblo on the campaign trail. It's one of my favorite places to visit and get to know folks. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, things that don't seem right. And it seems to be tied pretty heavily to some players that have been in Pueblo for a long time. Tell me a little bit about some of the corruption and things that I hear about. Is it true? Is it accurate? Is it something that needs to be addressed? So I, I think there's definitely some aspects of this that need to be addressed, right? Can I point to people and name names? What, what, what I think you can do in a case like this is you can point to circumstances and you can say this shouldn't be happening. And you, can, you can see enough smoke that you know there's a fire somewhere, right? And I think, I think the problem is we have too many of the same names, too many of the same people that have been doing things the same way for the last 30, 40, 50 years or longer uh, and they become so entrenched and so dependent on the public, I would say the public service aspect of, of Pueblo, but there's not a lot of public service happening. There's a lot of uh, public paychecks going out um, that we definitely have some things we need to address. I think that, that most of the leadership here, uh, if not outright corrupt, has lost sight of the people they're here to serve and the reason that they should be in office in the first place. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at some numbers and I pay pretty close attention to things like this, uh, but we have uh, rates of manslaughter, rape, armed robbery, and aggravated assault. Uh, over 1,400 of those violent crimes per 100,000 people in Pueblo. That's a rate of 12.65. You have a greater than one in 10 chance if you live in Pueblo of being a victim of one of those crimes in oh any God. given 12 month period. And it's been going on for years. And yet we send people to the state house and I'm, I'm not here to name names, but it's pretty easy to research these. One of these was recently the house majority leader uh, who sponsor legislation who permit criminals to get out early, who permit criminals who have multiple arrest records to roam free on the streets. In fact, we had, and, and, and this number really struck me, last year with, with our murder rate, we had 29 murders. And of those murders, this is very telling that something is bad wrong somewhere. 13 of the suspects were known gang members, two were previously deported immigrants, nine suspects had five or more previous felony arrests, two had 10 or more, one had 15 prior felony arrests, three suspects were out on some form of release right? Like bond, parole, probation, something like that. Only five of those murderers, these are convicted murderers. Only five of them had no previous records. So these are all people that should have been locked up. These are all people that shouldn't have been players and yet they were. And, and so where's, where's legislation that thinks like this coming from? You know, when, when did we start protecting the criminal and not protecting the property owner, the business owner, 
the parents, the people trying to raise a family, the moms, the dads, the good people of the community. I know it's not politically correct to say that, but I'm going to use terms like the good people of a community because there's a, there's a marked line between people who are productive, contributing members of a society and people who are takers and predators and people who would prey on the people who produce things. And we're supporting the, the, the wrong batch. Last, last two months in my line of work, we've had three vehicles stolen, 12 catalytic converters stolen, 14 gas tanks drilled out. And we're a small business. We, we employ 35 people. We've been in, in business here since 1943. So we've been here a long time, but that's over $100,000 in total losses in three months. Well, in Pueblo, we look at things like this and we say, why don't we have more businesses? Why don't we have more retail? Why don't we have more companies coming here? Why don't we have greater opportunities for employment? And the, the simple reason is none of these people have been prosecuted. When we brought this to the mayor's office, we were told, build a better fence. What? Oh, my goodness. Build a better fence. <sighs> now, I learned many years ago in, in my political science courses of study that the only reason government exists, the only reason governments evolve was to provide a form of protection for the citizens. That's right. right. The citizens got together and said, we need protection from bandits, from bad guys, from foreign powers. And so we're going to band together and form a government that provides a greater net benefit to us than a greater liability. Well, when I look at Pueblo, are we getting a greater net benefit than a liability? We're not being protected from criminals. We're not being protected from crime. Uh, our, our education system, which I know is a subject near and dear to your heart, is abysmal. Um, and, and we're not addressing the core issues. And I don't know if it's a lack of courage on the current leadership. I don't know if it's a lack of desire on the current leadership. I don't know if it's simply that the current leadership is happy to accept a paycheck and go home at the end of the day and have a drink or two. But what I do know is that what the people of this community need isn't being received. It's not happening. Is it corruption? I don't know, Heidi. It's either corruption or gross incompetence. Yeah, and I would argue that uh, just the mayor's comment that go ahead and build a better fence, yet they won't protect our southern border of Colorado, which is letting you know trafficking happen and drugs come across, bad actors come across. They will not talk about it. I recognize that on the governor's race. It was like this taboo subject, yet you know, our, our crime rates are skyrocketing across Colorado. Pueblo was ranked top 10 in all the worst categories. I think it was last year or the year before. And yet build a better fence. The, what a cop out. That's ridiculous. Isn't it interesting that the, that the same party that doesn't want us to build a fence on the Southern border is telling us to build a better fence. <laughs> yes, that's insane, but it doesn't surprise me. And Pueblo is such an amazing city with so much potential. It's the home of heroes. There is so much opportunity to turn things around and have brighter days. What are some of the things you would do, Nate, if you had a magic wand and could really address the issues of Pueblo to make it a better place for your kids to grow up in? So the first thing is crime. The first thing, number one, job one is, is public safety and crime. Um, I think I think once that nut gets cracked, and I think the only way we're going to crack that is with accountability. Uh, uh, sentencing guidelines with real teeth in them. Uh, uh, prosecutors with a desire to go to trial instead of make a deal. Um, some things like that. Uh, I think the number two thing uh, is is probably uh, the homelessness situation. I think we need to develop a two-tiered approach. Uh, the two tiers are quite simply, if someone's homeless in Pueblo, they have two options. Uh, the first is to go into a support 
system, you know, where they can get training for employment, they can get help, shelter, get cleaned up if addiction's an issue, and it often is, uh, and their other option is to leave. And I know that they leave here and be homeless someplace else, but frankly, that's not my problem. Your option is either to get clean in Pueblo or not be homeless in Pueblo. Those are the only two options you have. Look, Pueblo shares the same I-25 corridor with Colorado Springs, Denver, Fort Collins. We share the same mountain range. We have more water and arguably better weather. The only thing we don't have are excuses to not be as thriving as those communities, and we're simply not. Um, and you can, you can contrast the leadership in the Springs and, and, and Pueblo all day, especially going back the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, but really, the, the, the core differences are that Pueblo has been markedly tolerant of crime, uh, markedly anti-business, uh, and unwilling to uh, facilitate change and growth. And we've got to change our mindset there. It gets back to your question about corruption. Who benefits from not growing who benefits from holding things back that's that's one of those things to ask and then i think the final tier is education i have real concerns about public education in pueblo colorado my wife and i have already decided that our kids will, will more than likely be going to private schools uh, for obvious reasons but not everybody has that option not everybody uh, has the ability to send their children to private schools so we've got to do something to make public schools both more viable uh, more competitive, and uh, we, we've got to do something to help our teachers in those institutions as well. We have several good friends of ours that are teachers, and their frustration is every bit as real as that of the parents um, of kids going to these school systems. So we have, those would be the top three, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also um, sat next to a gal in Pueblo the other night um, who was telling me about the child care situation. Uh, there's just such a lack of quality child care facilities that if you do want to work and you do want to be productive or start a business as a parent, it's very, very complicated and difficult. And she said she tried to open it. She had a facility for a little while and the government regulation was just insane. And so she finally gave up and threw in the towel. But you know, I, I hope, Nate, that you stay involved in politics and stay um, the amazing leader that you are and keep speaking out. I'll always have your back on that front. And um, we need more Nates in the city of Pueblo and Randy's and Zach's to speak up and um, be um, the solution to making a brighter future for Pueblo. I'm really proud of you running and putting yourself out there. I know how hard it is and I uh, hope to see you do that again. We may see each other on the trail again in the future. Heidi, it's hard to say. Um, I wish the same for you, though. I appreciate the work you're doing with podcasts like this, kind of shining lights on issues around the state, specifically in, in Pueblo, because the only way we're going to the only way we're going to change anything is if we illuminate it, acknowledge it and develop a plan to counter it. Nate, to wrap up, do you have a couple organizations or nonprofits that are doing good work down there that you'd like to give a shout out to, or if people really want to be part of the solution, some opportunities they might take up? Yeah, there, there, there are a couple of real good ones. Uh, Zane uh, has a fantastic organization, CASA, doing a lot of good work with uh, children, uh, uh, kids trying to help them that are in some pretty tough and challenging situations. So Zane Grant's organization is fantastic. You can reach out to Zane on Facebook. He'd be happy to help you with that. In fact, they have a, they repel off a building downtown every year and that should be coming up at their fundraiser. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. You may want to think about doing that, Heidi. In fact, in fact Heidi, if, if, if you do it, I'll do it. I am so afraid of heights. You. That's like the worst possible thing you could ask me to do. But I was on the board of Colorado and I love that organization. And Jenny Bender's the leader. She's amazing. 
good. Yes, yes, they're they're a very good bunch. Uh, the uh, YWCA uh, is a good organization here. They they help women that are in compromised situations. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, Pueblo is number three in the nation for domestic violence. Oh my God! Uh, so. Yeah, uh, my wife used to work for the YWCA. I didn't know that until she worked for that organization. And uh, so there's a real opportunity in Pueblo uh, to help uh, victims of domestic abuse. Uh, so CASA and the YWCA would be two of my favorites. And of course, the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak region. You got to love the critters. I've got uh, I've got uh, three cats who are uh, triplets, although they have different moms. And they're, they're, they're a very, very big part of our, our family. And they were all... Uh, uh, adopted uh, from from the shelters around Pueblo, uh, and they've they've just been awesome. Uh, so those three organizations, whether it's uh, kids or women that need help or animals, I think uh, I think we protect and help the innocent and the weak as much as we possibly can. And those are three organizations that are out there uh, protecting the vulnerable. I'm glad you said that because actually Commissioner Commissioner Swearingen just reached out and has a 143-pound Great Dane who's a love, who's two years old, who needs a yes. home down there. So let's yes. help him get a home. I can't remember his name offhand, but we'll post that too. Nate, one more thing before we go that we didn't cover that's super important is human trafficking and the fentanyl crisis and the drugs coming across our southern border. And Pueblo is really a gateway for that. I heard from law enforcement on the campaign trail. What's your experience with that? Any suggestions on how we tackle that issue in Pueblo? Look, it, it, it comes right back to the emphasis on crime, right? Right now, we have city ordinances that we are not enforcing. We have city laws that we are not enforcing. Uh, years ago, when New York City was in its, before this crime wave, its last major crime wave, uh, they solved that problem by enforcing all the laws. Uh, and criminals are very uncomfortable when you're getting pulled over for jaywalking, when you're getting ticketed for spitting on the sidewalk, when everything is, is noticed, when everything is enforced, um, it, it really drives up places to hide. Right now, we have issues with uh, personnel numbers with the police department, and the cops here do a great job. We just don't have enough of them. And uh, for obvious reasons, there are some morale, morale problems along that. And I, you know, I can't blame him. If I had to arrest the same guy three times in the same night, and then he's getting cut loose again the next morning, I'd have some morale issues with that too. I think any thinking human being would, but I think it, I think it all comes back to crime and enforcement and tolerance. I'm glad you said that though, because I think, I think a lot of communities are having issues with uh, police shortage, law enforcement, personnel shortages. So what do we do in that circumstance? I think, I think the answer is we need to get the citizenry involved again. I think we need to look at uh, removing penalties for citizen involvement. We need to look at uh, the protection of property is a legitimate constitutional right, just like the protection of life is. Uh, in fact, the Supreme Court ratified the protection of property and, and the possession of property as a constitutional right, so it shouldn't be that big an issue. What we have to do, though, is we have to lose our tolerance for crime. We have to lose our tolerance for crime. I, I have to think that if, if we didn't tolerate shoplifting, if we didn't tolerate um, simple assaults, if we didn't assault, if we didn't accept things like that, then it would make it much tougher on child traffickers and murderers and, and drug dealers. You know, uh, all, all species of cockroaches scatter from the light. It doesn't matter what kind of cockroach you are. Um, but I think we as a society have got to take our blinders off 
and stop putting up with it. If we see shoplifting, instead of a bunch of people just watching around the store, everybody should be on their phone calling the cops right now. And as far as I'm concerned, somebody ought to trip them when they're running out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, Not we're, open the we're door supposed to be American. That's right. That's right. Not holding the door. But we're supposed to be Americans. We're supposed to be individualist and strong, independent people who stand up for what's right. But the legal system and the way the laws are written has has effectively neutered the average citizen. And now people are scared to get involved because they're worried about a lawsuit. We need to remove that fear, uh, much like we did with the Good Samaritan laws. You know, For a while, people were afraid to render first aid in case of an accident because they could be sued if, if something went wrong with their chest compressions or with their mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or what have you. So we, we enacted Good Samaritan laws. We need to look at doing something similar for law-abiding people to help stop criminals because the cops can't be everywhere. There simply aren't enough of them. Um, and we, we as a people have got to realize that what we permit, we promote. A good friend of mine that I worked with for many years used to say that. What we permit, we promote. And right now we're permitting shoplifting, we're permitting human trafficking, we're permitting fentanyl. We're giving them needles. Right. You can't get more permissive than facilitating the use. You know, I the, the biggest deal in addiction recovery of any type, and we're wandering a little bit of field here, but is 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 usually the person has to hit rock bottom before they can begin a recovery process. But if we're giving them needles and we're giving them substances to abuse that they're addicted to, we effectively insulate them from ever hitting rock bottom. We remove any desire to change and we just perpetuate the cycle of addiction we've got to change the way we look at these things in our society we've got to look at crime differently we've got to look at addiction differently we've got to look at individual human accountability differently amen that's a big job that is a big job, but it's we're Americans. That's what we do. That's how we built this amazing country. And the other thing I think that's pathetic is that we don't let ICE agents coordinate with local law enforcement. How do you stop trafficking? How do you stop drugs coming across the border if they can't work together? It's nuts. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. It, and you have to wonder when, when uh, governors, not to name any names, uh, and <laughs> I'll other the people, name. Jared Polis. <laughs> yeah. And, and other people in the state legislature actively interfere with ICE interfacing with local law enforcement. You have to wonder whose side they're on. You have to wonder whose side you're on because at some point you have to you have to stop catering to the special interests and the focus groups and start serving the average American citizen that you were elected to serve in the first place. Yeah, I agree, Nate. We've got so much work to do, but Pueblo is worth fighting for. And that's why I wanted to highlight uh, one of my podcasts on the city because it was one of my favorite places to go on the campaign trail. And I it breaks my heart that it can't be what it should be. I grew up on the lake uh, at, at Pueblo Reservoir with my dad on weekends fishing and hanging out. And I just, I can't believe how badly things have gone because of bad leadership. So hopefully uh, some new folks can get elected and turn things around and hopefully you'll stay engaged and keep the fight on. And I uh, would love to see that. Well, we'll see what the future holds, Heidi. I've got a, I've got a lot of conversations with uh, House Six on, on this topic, so we've got to kind of make a decision together there. But we'll see what, we'll see what comes down. Well, in the meantime, I hope you get some sleep, and uh, I have fun with those little ones. And thanks a bunch, Nate, for taking some time out to talk about Pueblo. 